when thinking about the pillars of exercise, I would say that it goes sleep, nutrition, exercise, and hydration. Uh, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I did want to talk about sleep for a second before I get into the Q&A episode of Chicken and Rice Radio. I was listening to a podcast recently where a guy was interviewing a PhD out of Ireland and what he was talking about was how your sleep, like if you take melatonin as a sleep aid consistently, you'll wake up over time because the half-life of melatonin is so short that over a period of time throughout the night, eventually start waking up halfway through the night and most likely not be able to go back to sleep because your brain isn't naturally producing the melatonin that it needs to keep it to sleep. So what I wanted to suggest was instead of using a sleep product that that just throws a bunch of melatonin at you, you would want to promote actually being able to produce the melatonin yourself and so what he suggested was finding a sleep aid that had 5-HTP as a base instead of instead of melatonin and what 5-HTP is it's 5-hydrotryptophan and tryptophan is that chemical that you get out of turkey so when you eat turkey after a Thanksgiving meal or something like that that calm tired feeling that you get, what it's doing is it's stopping a dopamine response in your brain and it's replacing it with serotonin and then you get into more of a relaxed state. Then you could fall asleep. The other two ingredients, so there's 5-HTP, the other two ingredients that I would suggest would be vitamin B6 and magnesium. So notice that all of these ingredients are vitamins and minerals and come naturally um, from different sources. What those two vitamins do is they help your brain convert the melatonin that you need to stay asleep. So just give it a shot. Um, I've been trying this product for a while and what I've noticed is I can't take it three nights in a row because it's going to keep me awake or if I wake up halfway through the night it's going to be difficult to fall back to sleep. However, the sleep that I have been getting consistently, even on the nights that I don't take the sleeping pills is just a very deep deep sleep and it's very good for recovery and in this episode I'll probably get into a part of recovery that's that's very important when it comes to managing your testosterone and how often you could train and uh, in the end it's gonna really just be how much can you train and then how quickly can you recover so let's go ahead and get into it. What's going on guys? Uh, Trainer 7 here, Chicken and Rice Radio. I've got a Q&A episode and I'll be doing these from time to time. I didn't get a whole lot of submissions for questions and whatnot, but if I do post on my Facebook or Instagram or something along those lines and say, hey, I'm going to do a Q&A episode, just go ahead and send me a DM and I'll take a look at those and I'll most likely answer that question directly and then I'll put it on the podcast. So I've got a few questions. I've only actually got four, but these these are all really good questions and some of them I actually pulled from a few years back because I thought that they were very good questions. So let's go ahead and get into it. Question number one, 
what do you think of yoga? Is it any good? And the reason why I wanted to answer this question was based off of the same thing as the sleeping pills was it's really accessing your your parasympathetic nervous system so you've got sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems sympathetic is your heightened state of awareness so say you're getting chased by a tiger etc etc you need to have a lot of blood glucose a lot of energy and you need to run away from whatever's chasing you that's going to save your life in the wild but we live in a state where we've got cell phones and social media and we've got a whole bunch of things coming at us all the time when it comes to stimulus and therefore it stresses us out so there's also anticipatory stress that can take place when you're anticipating something happening and that's the state that I, I feel like a lot of people spend the majority of their time in because they're always worried about, you know, am I going to have enough money to pay my bills and, and whatever. So getting good sleep is a good way to flip the script. So imagine a night where you couldn't really sleep and the way that you felt in the morning every time you eat. So here's, here's what's going on. When you can't sleep, your body says, okay, I'm really stressed out. So you pull, you push out a lot of uh, cortisol, which is your stress hormone. I mean, cortisol is really high. Insulin sensitivity is really low. So you'll actually end up storing more food as fat in that state. That's why a lot of times when you're always stressed out or whatnot, you're gonna put on more food as fat. Those days when you don't get a whole lot of sleep, what I would suggest doing is modifying your diet from a trainer standpoint, if I'm always trying to get you to store less food as fat, that way you could burn off what you have. One of the most important things that you could do is optimize sleep, optimize stress. Yoga is a good thing to introduce when it comes to optimizing your parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of that more calm uh, state. You can also do breathing exercises, you know, six seconds in, six seconds out. And on a, on a bit of a side note, when I was pretty young, this is pre-high school, I ran a five minute and six second mile. And I was doing it, I didn't really think, at the, think about what I was doing at the time, but what I had done was I was actually focused a lot on my breathing. When I was, you know, I can't even remember how old, 15 years old or something like that. But I ended up outperforming every single athlete who I ran against because I'm not even sure at this point if it was natural talent or if it was because I told myself if I got tired slower I could run further faster and what I did was yeah you've got all these people cheering you on and they're yelling and they're screaming and there's all this chaos but what you hear in your head is the sound of your feet hitting the ground and your breath and what I was doing, what I ended up doing was I was counting my footsteps and that was helping me count my breath. And so imagine all you could hear is, and that's your feet. What I was doing was inhale, 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 
exhale, 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 exhale. And that's, that's kind of, that was my mindset when I ran those miles. And even today, like I'm turning 29 in two months, even today I could still run a sub six minute mile. Um, I think it's somewhere around 540 something, but either way, I mean, I don't do it that often because I've got other goals that are ultimately build muscle, etc. I might do it if I'm trying to, you know, change up my insulin sensitivity or my training program. But the reality is, is when you focus on your breathing, it does optimize performance. That parasympathetic nervous system, when you're in that state, you've got better digestion, better insulin sensitivity, lower cortisol, and realistically, it's a better state to be in. You can find a lot more happiness in being relaxed than being stressed, obviously. So what I would do is just try to optimize sleep, optimize the time that you don't spend in stress because that's ultimately going to change your metabolism. One of the hot topics right now is um, like in 2019 and 2020, I think in particular, one of the biggest topics in fitness industry is what's more important, hormones or calories in versus calories out. And I think it's based off of whether or not you're stressed out, whether or not you're in these states where you're going to ultimately store a lot of food as fat. Because if you're storing food as fat, you're not burning it. So um, I could restrict somebody's calories and take them down, but if they're storing everything they eat as fat, like if you take a diabetic and they're instantly pushing out insulin, like that's a more challenging thing to tackle. So what I wanted to bring up in this podcast in particular was a lot of trainers don't take a look at blood work and take a look at hormones in terms of like, where's my stress level at? Where's my testosterone? Where's my cortisol? Where's my estrogen, et cetera, et cetera. If you could balance all of those things, the argument is that you're going to optimize the food that you do eat. Now that doesn't necessarily take away calories in versus calories out, but it is a huge factor. And I would say that if I was going to look at things that, you know, might do the biggest bang for the buck, I would say optimize your sleep, optimize your hydration, take a few minutes every day to just take a deep breath and then approach things when you're relaxed. Um, it also keeps you level-headed throughout the day and you don't really end up getting too stressed about anything and that's kind of the state that I'm in right now because I just had breakfast and everything else. Um, before doing this podcast, I actually took a couple minutes to just take a deep breath and then just try to relax. Um, and I've noticed that that's making this podcasting thing a little easier. I'm not sure if you went back and listened to episode one, but it was, yeah, I had edited the crap out of that episode because I was so nervous, you know, and the more I do it, the easier it's getting, but it's ultimately what state are you in? How easy is it to think about things and, and approach them with a, with a good logical, head on your shoulders when you do these things. So before I keep rambling, let's go into question number two. Question number two, um, and I'm going to jump around. Um, I had originally had question number two, what I'm going to do, uh, question number three, but I'll flip those. Uh, question number two is, should I take collagen as an anti-aging supplement? And this was actually submitted this this was a question that I was given before I did this podcast or even thought about doing a fitness podcast. And before I knew about the benefits of collagen and its skin benefits, I thought of it as 
more of an anti-inflammatory kind of joint supplement that I would recommend for people that had like severe joint pain that I wasn't able to accomplish 100% just needed immediate response uh, when it came to functional mobility. I would say that functional mobility is going to be your best bet when it comes to joint support and making sure that you're not having joint pain throughout the day. Um, but all things aside, um, I don't think that collagen is going to be the best option when it comes to anti-aging. I mean, sure, it's probably good for your skin, it's probably good for your hair and whatnot, but the biggest reason why I wanted to put this on the podcast was because the biggest way to optimize aging is, like I said, the four pillars of exercise and nutrition. It's going to be exercise, nutrition, rest and recovery, sleep, and hydration. So all of those things put together are ultimately going to make you age faster and I think that the the person who I try to use as an example just because it's you know a huge uh, pop cultural um, person I guess uh, that everybody kind of knows is JLo she's like 50 years old she still looks pretty young and I think that uh, people don't really know she does keto I think like three or four type three or four days a week and then she always exercises with weights I have no idea about the cardio. I'm, I don't really follow her on Instagram or anything like that, but I do want to say that like she also promotes fitness and nutrition and exercise. Uh, I don't know if she takes any anti-aging things. I, as far as I know, she doesn't really look like she's done Botox, but I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time looking at her or anything like that. But when you see somebody who has taken a bunch of Botox, like Sylvester Stallone or something like that, you can really tell. Um, not really the route that I would go uh, if I had the choice so I think that when it comes to anti-aging if that's your goal try to make fitness and nutrition a part of your lifestyle and then try to really maximize uh, your natural production of testosterone throughout your life um, and that includes women I think that you know, optimizing your natural levels of testosterone, whether it's through hormone replacement therapy, et cetera, et cetera, can ultimately be really beneficial um, just to get you at a healthy level. Obviously not at like a super jacked, you know, super she-hulk level, but I think that like if you're gonna, if that's your goal is to age well and longevity, then nutrition is probably your best bet as well as sleep. So, um, 5-HTP, vitamin B6, and magnesium. Those are the three ingredients for that sleep supplement. I'm just going to throw that back in there. Um, I would definitely recommend finding something that works for you in terms of that. But also, and I probably should have thrown this in in the beginning, but there's a disclaimer with that that you can get addicted to sleeping pills and that can ultimately lead to shortening your life, etc. So what I would do is just make sure that you're not addicted to it like monitor how much you're actually taking and then don't take it too often uh, the 5-HTP B6 and magnesium those are all natural and hopefully don't have any addictive substances other than oh man I really want deep sleep which who doesn't want deep sleep so um, if you want to take collagen it's up to you uh, but as an anti-aging supplement I don't think that it's the number one thing that you should look into um, people 
don't seem to age that well uh, if they've got low insulin sensitivity as well. So something that you can always do is get a blood glucometer. I ended up getting one from Walgreens. It was like 20 bucks and just go a couple hours fasted. Um, there's some debate on that. It's whether you should go eight hours or 12 hours fasted. The information that I got initially was eight hours. So I went eight hours fasted, checked it in the morning, straight out of bed. Um, there is something called dawn phenomena that could spike your numbers where basically you're waking up, your numbers are just high. It happens to some people. So um, I wouldn't, if, if you're doing everything right, over a period of time and the number's not getting better. It could be the dawn phenomena, but I would mostly suggest check it. Make sure that the number's below 100 because 100 is, according to my sources, which was the American Diabetic Association, if it's over 100, then that's pre-diabetes. So just take a look at it. There's nothing wrong with that. Increase your insulin sensitivity and then aging is usually better from that. Uh, from that standpoint. Now, when I when I checked it, I'll admit, I've been eating to gain muscle, I've been eating a lot, I've been trying to really just jack up the calories like they say you're supposed to do, and that's why I checked it. I was at 102, and then I was at 107, and um, I got it down uh, through a short keto diet which you know it didn't last very long but it did get go down a little bit i've been taking l-carnitine and i've actually been replacing one of my chicken and rice meals with uh, chicken and avocado which has been taking out some of the carbs and then blood sugars lower insulin's lower etc etc so i should probably do a whole podcast on insulin sensitivity i've touched on it a few times but just take a look at it and then see you know how is how how do I look right now? There's nothing wrong with that, and I feel like as a trainer, if I'm pushing calories to get somebody to gain weight, or if I know that somebody eats a bunch of junk food, it might be something that I want them to check out. It's just a safety precaution. Make sure that you're not, you know, running the risk of diabetes, especially when you've been pounding calories. So, like I said, what I've been eating has been pretty healthy, but it's been over a period of time that those numbers got really high, so now I'm bringing them back down, and then when I reintroduce calories again, I should be able to gain more muscle and just stay at a healthy level, at least through monitoring it. So, question number three. Other than cosmetic benefits, how has working out affected or changed your life? Now, this is, this is a question that I was asked back in 2016, but I brought it back in because I felt like this was a really important question to answer. People aren't going to notice the cosmetic benefits right away, but I do feel like if you experience weight loss, then one of the, like, that's going to be the most powerful motivating factors if your goal is to lose weight. So once you start losing weight and you see it on the scale, oh, this is really working for me. So um, that can really change the way that you view fitness. But other than cosmetic benefits, I would say that there's a lot of instances in your life where you feel like you're, you really want to work hard, you really want to do something, I'm going to be really motivated and stick to this and I'm going to do it. And there's other periods of your life where you just don't feel that motivated. And when you don't feel very motivated to do something, those could be really 
detrimental to achieving your goals. When you stick to fitness, when you start to realize that there's change happening and there's a really positive benefit to the consistency and the work that you're putting in, you're not only saying I want to have these goals, but you actively pursue those goals. Throughout the last couple of years, um, having gotten back into really consistently being into fitness, I went back to school, got my my two-year degree, and then I got recertified as a trainer. Um, 2020 has been a really successful year for me, but all of these things have been because I've noticed the difference between having a goal and wanting to get there and then actively pursuing it. And not only that, but having the energy and the motivation and the passion to go after those things. Um, I believe that my answer to Caleb at the time was that I, I feel motivated to do things more like play with my dogs and do things like that because I've got the energy to do those things, which is always a good thing to have. And as I get older, my goals haven't been like, look good, hook up with women, etc. I mean, that's kind of the, the young 20-year-old like standpoint of fitness. But as you get older, you start to realize, I'm probably going to have kids one day. Um, I want to have the energy to keep up with them. And I'm already almost 30, so I know that that's not going to be as easy as it was when I was in my 20s. And the other thing has been trying to pass on a decent level of testosterone, which I'm not sure if you know, but throughout uh, history, our natural levels of testosterone has been diminishing over time. So if you take a 40-year-old uh, from, you know, 80 years ago, his testosterone would be substantially higher than a 40-year-old today. So just being able to not shut down your endocrine system through ends up at you know, hormones like testosterone, etc. You can naturally have these higher levels of testosterone through uh, managing your cortisol levels, etc. So there's an inverse relationship between cortisol and testosterone. So if you're really stressed out, you've generally got lower testosterone. And if you're really, if you're not really stressed out, then you've got higher levels of testosterone. What happens when you exercise is you spike your cortisol during the exercise, but then when you spend the rest of your time where your body is uh, recovering, then what's happening is your testosterone is actually higher because your cortisol is lower. So by managing those two things, you feel healthier, you've got a lot of energy, and you know, if people don't know me, I don't know what they would guess that my age is, but I feel like I've been aging pretty well uh, regardless. I mean, still got some wrinkles here and there, but I don't feel like it's, you know, I don't feel like it's as bad as it could be. So just staying on top of those things, and that kind of goes back to the anti-aging, where I've been into fitness for quite a while. Hopefully I can live for quite a while um, by doing these things. So I think that one of the statistics I heard when I was younger, and it's probably different now, is that for every hour that you exercise, you extend your life by three hours, which, you know, if you've been exercising as long as I have, is probably not true, let's be honest, but I would say that for the most part, 
living a life where you're not consistently concerned about the way that you look or consistently concerned about uh, what people are thinking about you or anything else, you you can not be stressed out in situations where you're surrounded by people and not have anxiety in those situations where I feel like a lot of clients and a lot of people who I've dealt with before really dealt with those issues. So exercising today and making sure that I pass on some good genetics to my children, um, which, you know, genetics has been like pretty substantiated in terms of like you can exercise and you can have children with good muscular genetics. Like if you go back and you look at um, like Dwayne Johnson and Dwayne Johnson's dad, like you could really tell that like he's gotten a fair amount of his muscular genetics from his dad. Uh, not in terms of like insertion and origin points and everything else, which yeah, that's you know, that's obviously one example of genetics, but um, there's also other people like professional bodybuilders, Hunter and Lee Labrada, there's Sergio Oliva and Sergio Oliva Jr. Those are people who have good muscular genetics, whether or not it's because their family uh, or predecessors per se have good muscular genetics, you know, it's hard to say, but I would say that there's no harm in giving your children the best advantage that you could possibly give them before they're even born, and I feel like that's a really good gift that I can give a child that isn't born yet. So that's one motivating factor for me um, at this point in my life, and I know that goals change over time, and so uh, once I have kids or I'm not, once I'm done having kids, those goals might change and it might just be longevity, try to stay in shape, try to keep up with your kids, but really try to feel like when they want to go out and do something that you can do it with them. So just trying to make sure that when, say, they want to play football outside, you know, that might not be until I'm 40. So, you know, I'm really going to have to try to stay active and stay, you know, stay healthy. So, and I feel like right now, knock on wood, everything's going okay. And um, if I keep it up, things should be all right. Um, and then the last question was something that I submitted. Um, and it is, because like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of question submissions. So when I say, hey, I'm having a Q&A, don't be afraid to ask me these things. There's a couple of people who have asked questions, but I, I, you know, I didn't necessarily get a whole lot. So, I mean, anyway, last question from me. I eat a lot of bad foods. What can I do to cut out these bad foods out of my diet? And the reason why I wanted to ask this question on my own Q&A was because I didn't feel like anybody would ask how do I change a habit from eating bad foods to eating good foods? And I feel like when we're looking at bad habits, we know what we're seeing. So we know, okay, I eat a lot of popcorn or I eat a lot of this or that, that not, might not necessarily be good for my diet. How do I change that habit? So we know when we look at those things that they're not necessarily good. But what we're not looking at is what do we do when we do those things? So if you always watch TV for like three or four hours a day and then that's when you do the most mindless snacking, 
then that's a good thing to look at, like how much time do I watch TV? And then you could reduce the amount of time that you watch TV, and that should reduce the amount of time that you spend doing um, mindless snacking. So that's something that I exercise where I only try to watch TV for a certain period of time, um, and that cuts down on snacking for me, which I know I'm guilty of, but I know that that's one way of looking at it. Um, another bad habit that I have is I like to drink beer when I grill, so I'm looking at what makes it so that I want to drink beer when I grill, or what can I do about that habit to make it better. So if I drink beer when I grill, I don't drink beer with the dinner, and if I, you know, it, it's not having two beers, it's having one sort of thing. When you come up with these quantifiable things like, like a goal, you can't just say, I want to eat one last piece of pizza than I usually eat, quote unquote, usually eat, versus setting a numerical goal like I'm only going to eat two pieces of pizza tops maximum. It's not only, I mean, that's a better way to set up your goal because you could say, well, I usually eat like five, so, I mean, like you could always say something like that, so making sure that these goals are specific is also important. The other thing is not only do you identify what's going on with your habit and the precursor to that habit, but you're also taking a look at, well, I mean, first of all, you need to be accountable for that. So you need to not only identify it, but you need to take action and you also need to, you also need to pursue this constantly. It can't just be, you know, a couple of days here and there, which, you know, if it's not something that you've previously done, then sure, it might work for a short while, but you need to really crack down on being strict about these rules that you've set for yourself. One thing that I think everybody should try, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this, is what, one thing I think everybody should try at least once, and I'm not trying to promote any kind of eating disorders or anything like that, but I feel like everybody should try a 24-hour fast where the only thing that you have is water or black coffee or tea with no sweeteners. So what you're doing is you're forcing yourself to be in a state where you're hungry, but you're also telling yourself this is okay. You're, you're never more than five minutes away from your next meal, but everybody freaks out about it. You know, everybody says, oh, I'm hungry, so I need to eat right now. But practicing those things will really tell you, I'm in control. I don't have to eat. Everything's okay. There's no reason to panic. You know, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I could eat it tomorrow. When you're hungry, that's fat burning. You know, that's when that's happening. This is what fat burning feels like. When you're, I'm not, I'm not saying like never eat because that's always going to put you in that state, but I'm saying that exercising control over your urges to eat food is very important when it comes to knowing your own strengths, when it comes to controlling food, not freaking out when you eat certain things, you know, I'm in control. And then when you eat, you've got intent on okay, what's the next thing I'm going to eat? Take a look at it. Do I really want to eat that? You know? So, I'm not saying stop eating. I'm not saying go be anorexic. 
well, you lose weight, sure, but your endocrine system's going to go out the window, and then, you know, it's not a good, not a good thing. So, what I would really say is, if weight loss, if, if weight loss is your goal, try a 24-hour fast, and, you know, tell yourself it's okay. It's okay to be hungry. It's okay to, you know, not eat for a, a little while. Um, that's a part of weight loss, so... Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end there. Um, this is Chicken and Rice Radio, and thanks for listening, Jay.